Alan is here. What's up, Alan? You doing all right today? I'm doing all right. Today. Hey, man, uh, he's ready to bring us the word. But I, before you do, I wanted to ask you, we've asked everybody what they miss most about quarantine. What about you? What do you miss most? Well, you know, I miss um, I miss hugs uh, from our church family, which is a blessing. I miss baseball, right? Going to sleep at night watching my beloved Dodgers on the West Coast. I uh, miss Vin Scully. Uh, even before this year. Uh, but I missed something uh, that most people aren't talking about. And I noticed, Ryan, that your hair is looking pretty nice over there, which makes me think either Miranda has hidden talents or you're going on the black market for haircuts because you're looking all sharp and nice. And basically, I'm looking like Gary Myers. You know, that's what's happening to me in the quarantine. See, people aren't talking about the unsung heroes, the barbers, the hairstylists, those jewels from Southeast Asia that work on our nails. I mean, these blessings are the ones that I'm missing, Ryan. I mean, you know, that's I've been in this for so long. Look, by the end of the, here's some facts nobody's talking about on fake news. By the end of this quarantine, we will have lost 12 to 18 million blondes in America. That's a tragedy. Ear hair growth, especially in men, can result in double inability to listen to your wives while watching TV. And let's face it, we got enough problems with that already, right? I was on a Zoom call the other day, Ryan, and I noticed that my eyebrows have now returned to a Neanderthal place. Unibrow, right here. And it finally came to the tipping point with me. We're doing our podcast, and I'm lamenting just like I am to you. I guess I'm venting. Uh, about this situation where I can't get my hair fixed and cut. And I say that, and Jay says, do like me. Just cut it yourself. And that just broke me. I mean, I, I looked over at Jay's, and I thought, is that my future? Is that what I'm going to look like? So for me, I, I'm one of those kind of people that has to do something to relieve this depression. So I wrote a poem, Ryan. <laughs> it's called Musings from a Mullet. And, and here it is. This helped me get through the moment. I'm, I'm doing this for you, church family. Roses are red, violets are blue, because I'm a bit of a classic guy. My hair is a mess. Oh, where are you, Connie Sue? My days are confusing. I think today is Sunday. If, the, if this doesn't end soon, I'm going to look like Mike Gundy. Some of you may have to Google that. I'm not used to long hair. I always thought it was for girls. Soon I'll be Clay McConnell, only without the curls. <laughs> but one day this will end. I'll get a fresh cut. I'll be back in the race. And then I'll realize on my worst hair day, I still look better than Jace. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for that smattering of applause. Thank you. Apologies to poets worldwide. Uh, for that travesty and that display. But I had to get it off my chest. I'm good now. I'm ready to get to the Word of God. So let's let Lakin Borders uh, give us our scripture reading this morning. Go, Lakin. Hi, WFR Church family. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Certainly he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon us. And with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. 
So appreciate that, Lakin. Um, so we're in John 4 and 5 uh, is where we've uh, been camped out here lately. And so I want to pick up there. Uh, of course, Mike and I shared a lot with you about the Samaritan woman, uh, the blessing that she was to the surrounding town. I did think it was interesting, kind of ironic, that the, all the time we've been teaching and preaching about the Samaritan woman, that we had Samaritan's Purse. Uh, right here anchored at Weiss Ferry Road. And I joined Ryan and just saying thank you to those guys. And thank you to all our WFR volunteers that came out. I saw a lot of you around town in your orange shirts and you're helping the community. And so it's a great thing that we can do. And I appreciate those guys for helping us do it. So the point of John's gospel has been, as we've said repeatedly, is to show who he is in his revelation. And, and John focuses mostly sort of on the last few days of his life, over half the book. Is basically covering the, the last few days. And so as we're sort of hurtling towards why he came, I think the point we want to make is, is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. You can say that with me at home. Jesus is God. That's the whole point. And so today I've got a couple of uh, new signs. We did the, uh, the water into wine at Canaan. Today we're going to look at two new ones. And I think they show us a little bit more of this composite picture of who Jesus is and what he's trying to show us. And, and it really blessed me uh, just reading these texts. So if you're in John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse uh, 46. It says, the Bible says, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. That was that first major sign. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. So he's in Cana. The man is there. He has a sick son in Capernaum. Now, that's 17 miles away, I checked. So if you're thinking about it in terms of our region, that's here to Calhoun. That's how far the son is from where Jesus is. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. So this is a distraught father who has a sick son. And so he's going to make that, that trek, and he's on the lookout. He's heard Jesus coming, and so he's going to find him, and he's going to ask him. Now, Jesus has a pretty straightforward, almost harsh response to this request. Here's what he says in verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told the man, you will never believe. Now, can you imagine the Facebook comments that would have gotten? Uh, if you're just standing around, you're listening to this. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, you know, he's already getting all this about the miracles. This distraught father comes. And so Jesus is giving him a little bit of theology in with his answer. The royal official, and I love his response because he just goes right back to it. Sir, come down before my child dies. Hey, whatever, belief, whatever I got to do, I got a sick child. So here's what Jesus says. Go. Your son will live. Pretty straightforward. You know, just, it's done. Just like that. 17 miles away, just like that. So Gary Glenn, you're out there. I say something, it happens from the distance. The man took Jesus at his word, which is a good first sign, and he departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. So the servants are rushing to find him along the way because it's a pretty good track to get there. And the news is he's alive. He's good. Now, I love this in verse 52. When he inquired to the time when his son got better. 
So they come and they say he's still alive. And remember it says that he took him at his word, but now he's like, uh, when did he really get better? That tells me that he's digging a little bit deeper. I mean, yes, he took Jesus at his word. Yes, now his son is doing better. But was it really Jesus that did it? Was that really the deal? He's wanting to go all in. He's wanting to believe. They said to him yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. He happened to stay at one o'clock. And this man knew that. And that's exactly when his son got well. So across this 17 mile distance, healing. So he and his whole household believed. You see, he dug a little deeper and he said, you know what? This guy's the real deal. Now, what we don't know, and this happened all through the book of John, is, is he believing in the miracle or the miracle worker? Because there's a big difference. We can see something and not be able to explain it and say, that was really amazing. And then we can see something and say, you know what? That is the son of God. And I'm going to commit my life to him. One of the things I love about this passage is that it shows Jesus' divine ability to be omnipresent. Omnipresent. Everywhere at the same time. I'm going to give you a definition for this word. Now, there's two definitions. One is for us, for human beings, and one is for God. The definition for humanity of omnipresent is widely or constantly encountered, common or widespread. In other words, the omnipresent threat of coronavirus. That's what we would say, meaning that, man, it's out there. It seems to be everywhere. That's the human definition. It seems to be. We're not really sure. Listen to the God definition. He is present everywhere at the same time. Now, that we know. I know about the microbes, but I know about the Almighty, right? He's there. Now, what's interesting for Jesus is that he's in a human form, and therefore, we know from the Bible tell us, but we would just know, you know, in our own minds, right, that limited proximity in terms of space doesn't take away his power over everything. So even though he's in a human body, so unlike when he was in pure spirit form, like the Father and the Spirit, at the same time, now he still has the abilities to stretch across 17 miles and say something and make it happen, or even just think something. And make it happen. What an amazing blessing that we have in Christ. You know what that says to me? That says that I serve a God who is never too far away. Never. You get in that low place. You get in that sad place. You get in that place where you're like, I just don't know. How can I get through this? And he's never too far away. He's everywhere. He's everywhere for us. Turn my phone on silent, Mike. That's my phone over there. You know, sometimes one of the basic things you're told when you do a live stream is turn your phone off. Right? Did you know that? And then I'm hearing, my, I'm hearing people text me. I'm preaching. Come on. Maybe, those are maybe they are. Maybe it's people having hair issues and they're having their own problems. <laughs> Somebody probably had to help Mike turn that off, by the way. Oh, good. Thank you, Mike. So we're never too far away. So you read passing the Old Testament like this. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. I am with you. I will never leave you. My presence will go with you. All those great texts where Yahweh was looking at people saying, look, I'm not going anywhere. You think this is over? You think the Egyptians are going to take you over? I'm there. I may be in fire. 
I may be in a cloud, but I'm there. I'm never going to leave you. I love what Jesus told his disciples in John 14. This speaks to me to this very day. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You know one of the ways that we know that God will never leave us? Because as a believer, he's in us, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and in total disciples and will be in you. And then later he was, and he's in us. Before long, he would go on to say, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Folks, that's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, omnipresent in our lives. We're never alone. We're never by ourselves. And he can speak into existence whatever needs to be because he literally is everywhere. Jesus is the God of distance, and we praise him for that today. Not only is he the God of distance, he's also the God of restoration. Let's pick back up in John chapter 5, because now there's going to be a second healing. But it shows another facet, another element of Christ's deity and his power. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, it's easy for me to say, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to live, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, verse 4, which is not in most of the later translations because it doesn't appear in the early manuscripts, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. It's in the King James. It says this, And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease that he had, which is pretty amazing. So it's like an amazing race, right, for healing that's going on around this pool. And so some of the debate is, well, were they really, was it really happening? Was this where they're waiting on something to happen? Who knows? But there they are. Verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Just let that sink in for just a minute. 38 years. This man has been paralyzed and laying there and hoping to get into that pool to be healed. When Jesus saw him lying there, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. So he asked about him. And by the way, people who are desperate, who have been looking for some sort of restoration, especially for long periods of time, man, they'll look anywhere to try to fill it. Fill in that, fill in that hole with something. And that's the case of where this man is. Desperate. He asked the man, do you want to get well? <laughs> now, this is another one of those where I'm like, Really? So you think about this, this guy's been laying there 38 years. He's trying to get into this pool. Jesus comes, looks up, he asks him, and says, hey, you want to get well? In other words, I can help you get well. And this guy, look at his response. Instead, you know what he should have said? Yes. Yeah. I'm ready. What are you going to do? Instead, here's his answer. I just can't do it. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I just can't do it. I mean, just look at my poor, pitiful situation. I'm just waiting for someone to come. 
You see, the Son of God is looking directly at him saying, I've got the power to make you well. And he's still thinking about it. How am I going to get in the pool? You know people like that? I do. Healing's just right there, just waiting. And they're like, well, maybe I'll get some help one day. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Pretty straightforward, right? And I like it. Jesus just cuts right to the chase. At once, immediately, just like the sun from 17 miles away, the man was cured. Now, you think about someone that's been laying there 38 years and is paralyzed. His legs are atrophied. They're probably bent in terrible positions, can't work. And all of a sudden, woof, strong legs. There's no physical therapy. There's no exercise. There's no working through a process to get us back where you can walk again. It's immediate, ready to rock and roll. That's what happened to the man. He picked up his mat and he walked. It was time for something to happen. He had been waiting 38 years and then it happened. Don't you love it when people find healing and restoration? What a blessing. Some people wait so long and then when they find it, they're like, oh, Man, this is fantastic. You see, Jesus gives us a glimpse of his eternal nature. It didn't matter to him that it had been 38 years. This man was at a point where now was the time for him to be healed. He didn't have to go through some hocus-pocus or some long, drawn-out process or waving his hands. He just said, pick up your mat and walk. That's what Jesus does. We get into these seasons of endurance, I call it, where, man, we're thinking, it's never going to change. And that's the words we use. It's always going to be like this. It's never going to change. I never can get past this. And he says, come on now. I'm eternal. You're all hung up on time because this season has seemed too long to you. We're in a situation right now, right? People are like, oh, I got to get out of the house. It's It's killing me. It's two months of my life. Come on. With an eternal God? It's a drop in the bucket. He uses words instead of never and always as hope and faith and immortality. So see, we're never too far away, but also it's never too late. It's never too late. There's always an opportunity if we turn to Christ, if we ask him for that. He'll bless us. Even if we don't get some physical healing we're looking for, we can get the spiritual buoyancy to get us through to eternal life. We're going to be made whole. Never too late. I used to stroll into this very room teaching a class on Sunday mornings. And I usually would wait three or four minutes because everybody tries to, you know, when it comes to church stuff, everybody tries to like get there at the exact same time. And so then there's stragglers coming into Bible class. And so I would always wait three or four or five minutes before I would come into the class. And I would stroll down this center aisle and Mary Donson used to sit right there. And as I was walking by her, she'd do the same thing every time. She'd be tapping her watch. And I would say, is it time to take your medicine, Mary? And she would say, You're, it's, it, we were supposed to start at 9 o'clock, and it's 9.03. And you know what I told her? I said, Mary, unless you want to get up here, this Bible class is not going to start until I start it. I'm never late to my own class. And then she would give me the stink eye, and then she would smile. Because we loved each other, right? I was never late to my Bible class. Jesus is never late to the party as long as we're willing to trust in him and say, please come into our lives. Yes, I want to be healed. I love Second Peter 3 and verse 8. Don't forget this, Peter said. 
With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. A thousand years. You know, it's only been 2,000 since Jesus was here. And that's like two days to God? That's what Peter said. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Oh, when we get out of this pandemic, is terrible, it's slow. Got to get this economy going. As some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But that day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. So you know what? We want to be ready for that day while it's still today. Never too late. We're never too far. But God gives us the blessing of trusting in him. So my questions for you today are this. April 26, 2020, we're quarantined. We're in a pandemic. We're not doing things the way we normally do them. We're having to beam into your home to be able to give an encouragement or a challenge. And so my questions for you this morning are these. Where is God in this snapshot of time in your life? Where is he? Is he nearby? Does he feel far away? Is he guiding your life? Is the Holy Spirit living in you? Are you quenching the Holy Spirit or are you following the lead of the Holy Spirit? Some of you may desire to be restored today, to be made whole. You've been waiting. You've been waiting to pick up your mat and walk away from whatever it is that's just been dug into you and holding on to you. You've been sitting on the side of the pool waiting to get in. If somebody would just come and help me get in the pool. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? See, it's just right there. Do you want to get well? You trust in me, you pick up your mat, and you walk. Today's the day to close the distance. God has answers for all of us. He is the God of distance. He is the God of eternity. He's never too far. I'll close with this passage in 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. It's one of my favorites. Paul said this to Timothy. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. He said, that's right. I want, to be, I want to be called to something that I'm going to do better in. No, 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 no. Don't miss the point. The holy life is because he is in charge now. That's what makes it holy. We're just following him. And we get better and better. Not because of us, but because of him. Not because, oh, wait a minute. That's what he said. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us, so we know it's not from us, in Christ Jesus, when? Before the beginning of time. Think about that. All the way back, before that, the moment we were even spoken into existence, Christ knew what he would be in our lives. Boy, you talk about an eternal moment. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior in that first century. He came here when the time was perfect. Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. Did you catch that? Your past, your present, your future, completely consumed in Christ, guarantees you heaven forever. And now we have this little taste of the Holy Spirit living in us, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Oh, man, if you're following Christ, you're trusting him, you're saying, whoo, thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. Can I hear from a Kurt Lively out there, Jesus? Thank you. And if you're not there, then today's the day to make a decision. An omnipresent, eternal Jesus 
awaits your decision. Ryan, tell our folks about any important info.